Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. All right. Thank you, guys. It's great to be with you today. We are still covering the book of Daniel. We're up to chapter 9. And today, I haven't even thought about this little thing. Today, we are... um, talking about something a little bit different than some of the previous chapters that we've looked at. And Daniel, in this chapter, is talking about the exile. And so we're going to talk about that, and Daniel is talking about the end of the exile. But before we jump into the text, I just want to talk about this kind of pattern and theme that we see in the Bible, which you may not have noticed before, but there is a pattern of sin, exile, and restoration. And we see that going through the Bible in multiple places, but especially kind of as an overarching theme, starting with the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve. And we know that Adam and Eve did not listen to God, right? They had one rule. They chose not to listen to God. They rejected God. And so that was sin. And that resulted in them being exiled from the Garden. They were banished from the Garden. And with that exile, they lost some very important things, right? They lost this luscious garden that had all the food that they could ever want. Now they have to work for it. They lost this protection in the garden, and now they have neighbors who are maybe not so thrilled to have them there. But they also lost that beauty of being able to walk with God in the cool of the day, that closeness that they had with God. But we also know through that curse in Genesis, it says that Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent, the serpent that brought the sin in the first place. So we know that there's hope that that restoration will happen and that we, like Adam and Eve, will be able to return to that place in the garden where we have all the things that we need and we're close with God. So Daniel finds himself in this pattern in exile, right? And he knows that the the exile that he's in is a result of sin, the sin of the nation of Israel. And in chapter 9, he's going to pray to God for that to end, for that exile to end, and for the restoration to begin. And God answers him in this prayer, but it's not quite the answer that Daniel was looking for, and we're going to talk about what that is. So to understand the sin, anybody like the Old Testament movie with Charlton Heston? There he is, in case you miss it. I loved that show as a kid. So to understand the sin that uh, brought them to this place of exile, it's, it's the Ten Commandments, right? God gave Israel these rules, rules of how to get along with each other, but also how to interact with God, right? Boils down to love God, love your neighbor. And God said when he gave them these rules, if you follow these, there will be blessings. And he outlines the blessings. And those blessings are pretty similar to what Adam and Eve had in the garden, right? They would have prosperity. They would have all the things that they need. They would have peace from their enemies. And they would be in a place of honor among the nations, that they would be representing God's kingdom to the nations. But he also said, if you don't, that there will be consequences, And that was called curses, right? And they were also the opposite of the blessings and similar to what Adam and Eve experienced when they were banished from the garden. So, Moses gets these Ten Commandments. The Israelites have this. They're in the desert, right? They get the Ten Commandments. They find their way into Canaan. 
And then we have this period where they're kind of settling in this land, right? They go into this land, there were other people living there. So they had to kind of work a little bit, and they had to fight their way a little bit into settling in this land that God had given them. So there's a pretty long period of that happening. And then they finally get their first king, which they asked for, King Saul. Saul, eh, he was an okay king, right? But then we have David, King David. And King David, he's the one. King David was a great king. He was a man after God's own heart. And even though he made some pretty big mistakes, some pretty big blunders, but he repented of those things, and he turned back to God, and God forgave him. And David ushered in this era called the Golden Age. And they had prosperity, and they had peace, and they were honored among the nations. All those blessings that God said that they would have if they followed his commands, right? And so things were really good under David. And that continued for a little while under his son, Solomon. Solomon starts out, right, he's the guy that asks for wisdom. He writes the Proverbs, right, Song of Solomon. Solomon also builds the temple for God. It's a really big deal to build the temple for God because the temple held the Ark of the Covenant. And to the Jews, the Ark was the presence of God, right? Not like our understanding where we have the Holy Spirit with us all the time. They really saw that God's presence was with the ark, and the ark was in the temple. So the temple was very important. But Solomon doesn't continue to follow God. Solomon starts marrying women from other countries, from other nations, and he brings in these other religious practices, even child sacrifice, right? So Solomon goes down a pretty dark road. And his son, Rehoboam, doesn't redeem things much. Rehoboam makes such unpopular decisions that 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel decide, you're not my king anymore. And they follow a different king. And we have what's now called the divided kingdom. So the 12 tribes of Israel are now under two different kings, two different kingdoms. The tribe in the north is called Israel, which is super confusing. And then the tribe in the south is called the tribe of Judah, and these, or the kingdom of Judah. And these are the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, sorry, is where Jerusalem is. It's where the temple is. It's where David was. And it's where Daniel lived, right? And so, as you read through Kings and Chronicles, it tells you about all these kings, the kings in the north, the kings in the south. And there are a few good ones. But more often than not, you'll see this phrase, that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It comes up a lot, right? So we kind of see that we've left this golden age and we're going down a path further away from God. And God sees this, right? And part of this means that there's rampant social injustice, but mostly also that they are worshiping other gods and they're doing some pretty detestable things. They're pretty far from following God. So God sends them some prophets. And this is what most of the Old Testament prophets are doing. They're not necessarily telling the future. They're telling the present. They're saying, hey, remember those blessings and curses that we learned about that are in the the, uh, covenant that we have with God, that Israel has with God? We're heading down the wrong path, folks, and we need to turn around. That's what the message of the prophets was. If you go back and you read the prophets, this is what you'll see. 
but they don't listen. They still keep going down this road. And so they're sent into exile. So first, it's the northern kingdom. They fall to Assyria. And you can see there that purple line there, right? So they're taken into exile. They're invaded by Assyria in 722. And the southern kingdom falls not far after them. And this is where Daniel lives. Daniel's in the southern kingdom. And you can see there's different dates, right, of when people were deported. It kind of happened in waves. But finally in 586 is where Jerusalem is invaded and the temple is destroyed, which is a big deal. So it's important to understand what was the exile. They weren't slaves, right? They were taken captive. They were forced to leave their home and go to another place, which you saw on the map was pretty far away. They didn't have cars back then, right? So you can imagine this was a pretty arduous journey, and they're very far from home. They're very far from the things that they know. They're very far from their temple, which has also been destroyed. They don't have their king anymore, right? They're far from this land that God had given them. So, but they're not slaves. They are able to live as relatively low-class citizens, but still, they're able to own property, they're able to own houses, own businesses, they marry, they have children, right? They're living, right? They're still able to live and make some decisions for themselves. But it's not the same. Really, it, they're homesick, right? All those things that I described. So even though they're actually able to carry out their daily functions and living, they're not really living. That's not life to the full, right, as Jesus talks about, because they're missing those very important things that God had given them, their king, their land, and their temple, and those are critical. And if you read at all, if you're interested at all in what this was like for them, it's the book of Lamentations, and I think the name says it all, right, Lamentations, and a lot of the Psalms, too, will speak to this. So, but those prophets that warned of the exile coming also offered hope, and Jeremiah was one of the prophets that spoke to the southern kingdom. And Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, so he's speaking to the southern kingdom here that's been taken into exile, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Who has that on a magnet on their fridge? It's a pretty popular verse, right? And it's about the exile. God's promising that this is not the end. This is not what I have for you. Then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So all these people who had heard the prophets warn them that exile was coming, they also knew this, right? They also knew that it was going to end because God had give, given them this word before the exile happened. And this is where we move to our text with Daniel 9 today. So Daniel knew the writings of Jeremiah. Daniel's talking about the first year of Darius, So this is about 539, 538 B.C., which is about 67 years after Daniel left Babylon. So 
that plays into part of Daniel's prayer here. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So he's quoting that scripture that I had just read to you. So I turned to the Lord and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And this is a really important piece to capture here is Daniel's attitude. He's pleading with God. He's not demanding. He's not reminding him, hey, remember what you promised. Make sure you make good on this promise. He's pleading with him, right? And he's humbled himself in fasting and sackcloth and ashes, right? He put on sackcloth. He covered himself with ashes. This was a way of showing humility and humbling himself before God. And that's an important thing. I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and we've done wrong. We've been wicked and we've rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. So already he's making a distinction here between God and Israel and the differences between the two. And he continues, Lord, you are righteous. But this day, we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel. A lot of the prophets spoke to just the kingdom that they were in, but Daniel is now expanding that to both the northern and the southern kingdom. All of Israel, both near and far, and in all the countries where you've scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We, our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame because we've sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. So he's acknowledging that God can be gracious and merciful, even though his people are not following. We've not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws that he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All of Israel has transgressed your law and turned away. And not just turned away, but refusing to obey you. They didn't just accidentally not obey. They refused to obey. That's pretty strong. Therefore, the curses and the sworn judgments that were written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. And just as it is written in the law of Moses, all of this disaster has come on us. Yet we still have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sin. So he's saying, all this stuff has happened. We've been sent into exile. We're miserable, but we are still not turning back to God. And we're not giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. So he's saying pretty clearly, yep, you warned us. We knew it. We did it anyway. We deserve this, right? We did not heed your warnings. 
The Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We've done wrong. Lord, in keeping with your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, because we're not, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man, Gabriel, the man that I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And I'm going to tell you right now that that vision is hard to understand, and we may not necessarily understand it. Daniel might have, but I don't know that we will. <clears throat> so he talks about 77s, and so it's already confusing, right? Um, a seven was meant to be a unit of time, typically seven somethings, seven days. They, called, they referred to them as weeks, but a week wasn't necessarily seven days. It could have been seven years, right? I think it could have also been 70 years, right? So there's no clarity here, <laughs> except that it's more than 70, right? So sounds like it's more than the 70 years that Daniel was counting on. 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for wickedness. So these are the things that Daniel was asking for, right? We've sinned, please God, restore us, despite our sin, right? But in addition to that, God says he's going to bring everlasting righteousness. That wasn't in Daniel's plea. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. And it could be most holy one, depends on how you interpret it, but usually it was most holy, so to anoint the most holy. So God's already telling him here, okay, it's not necessarily going to be the 70 years that you thought it was, um, and I'm going to do more than you've asked. That's a pretty big deal, everlasting righteousness, anointing the most holy. And this is where it gets really confusing. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that's actually the clearest point of this whole thing, is that he's going to rebuild Jerusalem. Until the anointed one, we don't know who that is. Could be Jesus. Could be a king, because kings were anointed. Could be a priest, because priests were anointed. Could be Cyrus the Great. We don't know. Lots of people have different ideas. But um, we don't know. 
Until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It'll be rebuilt with streets and a trench or a moat, but it'll be rebuilt in times of trouble. And after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary or the temple. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations will have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, and in the middle of the seven, or half the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So, lots of very smart people disagree strongly about what that means. So we're not going to talk about it a whole lot. Because <laughs> I don't have to. No, because um, there are lots of other things here that we can bring out of this. But it's, the, the important thing is that there is a prophecy here about the future of Jerusalem. So, um, like I said, there are multiple interpretations. And a lot of those interpretations are around those numbers the 62 sevens, the seven sevens, what date are they, right? Is it 490 years? If it's 490 years, when does it start? When do we start counting the 490 years? From the, the beginning of the deportation? Is it from the Assyrian deportation, the Babylonian deportation, right? Some people think it's pointing to Cyrus the Great. Some people say it's pointing to Antiochus Epiphanes. Some say it's pointing to Jesus' birth or Jesus' baptism or Jesus' crucifixion. Lots of theories out there. And a lot of times, those numbers, the 77s, are symbolic and theological, not necessarily actual dates and numbers, right? The Babylonian exile lasted longer than 70 years. That doesn't mean that the prophecy wasn't true and accurate. Jesus was asked how many times to forgive somebody. What did he say? Seven times seven, right? Did he really mean 49 times? No. It was just a way for him to express a magnitude of time. So, but what we do know from God's answer to Daniel's prayer is that his purposes are going to take longer than the 70 years that Daniel was planning on, and Daniel was hoping he was going to cut it short, but no, it's going to take a little bit longer. But that God is going to bring in a time of complete forgiveness and acceptance, that righteousness is going to be ushered in. So there's some good things that we can know for sure that from God's answer to Daniel's prayer. So they were allowed to return shortly after chapter 9 happened, shortly after that king, Cyrus the Great, conquers Babylon and allows people to return to Jerusalem. Um, a lot of people didn't return, though. You'd think they'd all want to go back. They were all so miserable. But they'd been there 60 years. Some of them had died, for one thing, a lot of them were born there, and even if they weren't born there, this was their home. This is where they had family. They had roots. They had friends. They had a job. They had a home. A lot of people, and they, like I said, they weren't slaves, right? So a lot of people didn't go back, and the ones that did were pretty disillusioned. It was not a restoration. It was a return, but it wasn't really a restoration. So they rebuilt the temple in 515, but they never found the Ark. You know that movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark? 
So God's presence was in the ark. The ark is not in the temple. Even though the temple is rebuilt, it's just a building. Without the ark, it's just a building. So God's presence never returns, and the prophets of the time are telling people, nope, this isn't it. We know it, we feel it in our bones that this is not a full restoration of what we had before. And the prophets are saying, you're right, this isn't it. This is not the full return. And so the prophets start talking about a new covenant. And that's something to look forward to and the Messiah. So back to our friend Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, both kingdoms. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, even though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts, not on stone tablets like they had before. I love this part. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they'll know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So this is the new covenant that they are to look forward to because they know, right, that old covenant, the law, they just weren't able to do it. They weren't able to keep all those rules. And God's saying, this is going to be a different covenant, a new covenant, and these rules will be in their hearts and in their minds. And this new covenant is fulfilled with Jesus. Jesus forgives our sin. He says he's the way, right? He's the way out of exile, the way back to God. In a lot of ways, we are still living in exile, right? We don't have that complete restoration. We're not back in the garden. We're not back in paradise yet. All we have to do is read the paper, if anybody reads the paper, read the news, watch the news, to know that this is not complete restoration. We're still waiting for that to come. We're still waiting for God to come back and make everything whole and right and good again. And Jesus is the way to that, the way out of where we are now and the way back to God. That's the only way to complete restoration. We have an amazing gift in that we live in a time after Jesus has walked on this earth and died and risen we live in a time where we have the whole New Testament. Daniel didn't have that. He didn't even have the old, whole Old Testament. He had parts of it. He still had hope. He still put his hope in God and the things that God promised him, that there would be an end to this suffering, that there would be an end to this exile. Even though it might not have happened in his lifetime, he still knew that it would come. We have the amazing ability of knowing the rest of the story. We know that Jesus came and died for our sins. And we know that he fulfilled that law. All those rules, he fulfilled those rules. He fulfilled the law. He said he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And what does he ask of us? Just to believe in him. 
to put our trust in him. It's so different than that old command, that old covenant that the Israelites tried and failed to follow. We have the good news. So, as we move into our invitation, I just want you to think about who's your hope in or what are you hoping in, right? If you're looking at circumstances and you're waiting for circumstances to change, you're looking to get a better job, win the lottery for a spouse, for your kids to do something different, for your family. You know, um, my husband used to lead this group called Surviving Your Loved One's Addiction. And there was the realization that if you're waiting for that loved one to get sober before you go on with your life, you're going to be waiting a very long time, if not forever. If you put your hope in that circumstance to change, if you put your hope in people to change your circumstances, or in the government, or in elected officials, if you put your hope in anything other than God, you're going to be disappointed, and you're going to be miserable. If you're waiting for happiness to come through any of those other means, you're going to be disappointed. Jesus is our hope. So, if you don't know Jesus, this is a great day to introduce yourself. It's a great day to say that hope, I don't see it, I don't feel it, and I want it. We would love to pray for you after when we get to prayer time later. But even if you do know Jesus, you recognize I'm still living in exile, and this life is hard. This life is hard. There's just no other way to say it. Jesus didn't promise anything other than that but he's with us, right? He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. He's the only way for us to have life and have it to the full in the midst of this chaos and disorder that we're in. So Daniel's prayer, he humbled himself, confessed sin, and asked for forgiveness and God's mercy. He could only do that because he knew God's character. He knew that God was righteous and good and true. We know through the New Testament that God is love. Daniel didn't have that scripture, but he still knew that God was good. And Daniel looked back to God's promises, and he held on to them. We all have promises. This is why you need to read your Bible, so that you know the promises that are already in the Bible. Sometimes God gives us other promises, he gives us prophetic words like David was talking about last week. He gives us prophetic words and promises for situations that we are in in our lives right now. I have a promise from God about a situation that I <clears throat> am watching play out. And if I didn't have that promise, I would just be a puddle on the floor. I count on that promise to get me past what I see in this world if you're looking at the world and counting on that to be the thing that gets you through, like I said, you'll be disappointed. But God's promises are there because we need them. His prophecies are there because we need them. He promises stuff. He gives us hope because he knows we need it. They're not just nice things to say and memorize. They're things for us to hold on to and use to get us through the exile. <clears throat> 